episode 99 of Strange Brow Radio. I'm your host again, Tobe Johnson, and today we have a special guest, Ira Wolfnosen, and the website is Heart Unafraid. You've heard me talk about Heart Unafraid for the last couple months. Here we are. So this is uh, an interesting, to say the least, friend of ours who may be able to help. Helps on the way with Ira Wolfnosen. And I'll tell you more about what I mean by that in a moment. But hey, don't forget our sponsor, Feral by Aaron. The Etsy store is open, ready to go. The holidays are near. Museum quality. Alchemy sound tools at Feral by Aaron. E-R-Y-N at the Etsy shop. Don't be a stranger to Etsy. Okay, we'll be right back. All right, as I said, my guest today is Ira Wolfnosen, experiencer mystic healer and experiencer of very strange events since birth and hardunafraid.com is open ready to go no longer under construction and it's a place that we're going to be building together along the way here so i've been waiting for quite a while to watch the stars align <laughs> with uh, era and my schedule and so we we made some things happen here over the last 30 days, and now we're sticking to a, a regular monthly schedule. So what you're about to hear is a two-hour conversation with Ira Wolfnesson and her background. She's got quite an extensive background in these secret schools, so much so that uh, I had to grab a pen and paper to make sure I, I caught up with her. So... I may suggest that because what you're about to hear is a conversation I think worth hearing and having. Now, it's stretched my brain quite a bit. And as someone who's a fellow experiencer, someone who always told me that the mysteries love to keep their secrets, um, that's a really important statement along the way looking into these mysteries that have happened to me. And I hope for yourself you would understand that statement as well. And so I sit back with Ira and talk to her about what she exactly means by that and how she knows that. And I'm not saying she knows everything and she's the healer of everything, but where are we going to go with these deeper questions here? We don't even really know the right questions to ask about some of this stuff here. So Ira is extremely honest and down-to-earth and accessible. She's worked with at least one of the witnesses off of this program regarding their own unusual experiences, and they were better for it. You can't, like I said, traditionally, where are you going to go besides someone who has been through this and walked down these, these roads? So not everything is black and white with Ira, but um, I think it's comforting a lot of things are black and white with her. And looking into the face of some of these paranormal experiences, I think you want that. So enjoy this conversation uh, with Ira Wolfnosen, Heart Unafraid. And uh, stick around for after the show because there's a part two coming up in November. And I will tell you more about that uh, towards the end. 
All right, my conversation with Ira Wolfnosen. With me right now is Ira Wolfnosen, friend. I just call her family, really. She's like a big sister to me. And uh, it's been a while since Ira and I have really worked together. Uh, the last thing we did would have been when she lived here in Washington. But we've been talking on and off air about not only the radio show, which you're listening to right now, but also her new book that she's working on, her website, um, and some classes. And over the last couple months, the last month in particular, you've heard me mention this name and you've heard me mention the website Heart Unafraid. But I haven't really told you about the woman behind Heart Unafraid. So let me just read to you off of her bio a little bit about Ira Wolfnesson. Ira is a practicing alchemist and is a member of the International Alchemy Guild. She studied hermetic and hermetic principles at the Hermetic and Alchemistic Schools of Philosophy. Ira is a practicing student of the GD, the High or Ceremonial Magic Rosicrucians, a student of the HOGD, and currently attends two mystery schools within the interconnected realms of Christian mysticism, high magic, and hermeticism. She has an understanding of theurgy, meaning the divine action or God working, astrology, alchemy, and Kabbalah are no stranger to her as well. As a student of nature and alchemy, she has an understanding of mysterious and symbolic language known as the green language, forbidden language, languages of the birds, which can be understood as the language of nature. She often teaches others the art of walking in beauty, which is the ancient symbolic system of connecting to and conversing with the divine while working in nature. Iris spent eight years sequestered in one of the Earth's power spots, learning from, experiencing, and interacting with the spirit and the spirit of that place. During this time, she documented her experiences and photographed and measured the energies with instruments for others. During this time, she extensively studied the ancient science of geomancy, which is accessing and harnessing earth energies and dousing and often uses earth power places as vehicles of personal transformation in her belief that one must swim within in order to understand the esoteric, all things which have everything to do with the mysterious power of the earth, the cosmos, the human psyche, the mysteries of themselves. Simply put, Ira is a student of the mysteries. Hello, Ira Wolfnesson. Hello there, brother. <laughs> okay, so that was a lot. And what our job is going to be here, and you as the viewer, is to realize that we just gave you a mouthful. And I don't expect you to jump on Google and Ira, you don't expect them to jump on Google and go research what all that was as far as the mystery schools that you have been through. But what is important here and what we think the direction we're going is, is that you're a healer. You understand the spirit in a way that most traditional religions, certainly the Protestant religion, for example, could never access any of these schools, let alone talk about them. It would just be hearsay uh, all the way th uh, through. And I look at you as a resource that's balanced enough to talk about 
these mystery schools in a way that um, have a string of truth. And so rather than me try to figure out how to give the audience what you have already given them, I'd like for you to explain to everybody here exactly what you've learned and what this all ties into. Because I feel like there is a familiar ring of truth and these ancient wisdom teachings all have led somewhere and it's to a God, God force. Yeah. All of the things that I study are ancient arts and sciences. They're not religions. For example, alchemy is a combination of two words, alchemy, chemi meaning Kemet, the land where chemistry was born in ancient Egypt. Al meaning God, so it's God's science. So there's been a lot of misunderstanding and misinformation throughout the thousands of years about these sciences that I study. Magic is a system. It is a science. These are all things um, that have a stigma brought with them in the modern world. Uh, Some people will think that they are things of Satan when actually they are sciences, they are divine sciences, and they used to be rolled into one school called the mystery school. And the difference between these sciences and modern science is one thing. They view the universe as being pure consciousness. We view it very differently today. Quantum science has maybe a little bit of a new spin that comes closer to that. But these sciences were all based in a very ancient um, way of seeing things that came from the Egyptian culture, but very quickly spread out across the entire world, civilized world. And they're based on something called hermetic principles, which is a way to view the universe as being a consciousness or God. So God is in everything when we do these sciences and and study. We see the universe as being conscious. The entire universe is consciousness, and then all of the beings within it, including plants, minerals, rocks, everything is conscious. So when you, um, you know, when you go out and you're talking to trees and And you know that science tells you that when you sing to a tree, its energy field expands. It's responding. So there are many levels of consciousness. But a tree is conscious. It doesn't have a brain like we do. So consciousness doesn't depend on gray matter within a skull. So that's how these arts and sciences were rooted in in what how they viewed the universe and then how the experimentation the basic science scientific methodology was played out mm. on that basis in alchemy uh people think it's turning lead into gold that's only a metaphor it i mean alchemists did try to do that because they were doing a lot of chemistry but really what they were doing was turning base consciousness which is the universal symbol or archetype is lead so when you turn lead into gold you're taking base consciousness 
and turning it into gold, spiritual consciousness, high consciousness. So when you look at these things, they're all couched in metaphor and allegory, and it is the language of the birds also. Everything is symbolic. Okay, so, so these allegories, you know, real quick here, and I'll be stopping you a lot because my role is here. I've got a pad and paper and a pen, folks, and I'm a student here just like you all. And sometimes I'll be the skeptical student. Sometimes I'll be the one looking out at uh, ears saying, whoa, hold on. And these metaphors and these allegories here, now stop me if I'm wrong with any of these questions here, but they are questions. These metaphors and, and allegories here aren't always the case. Sometimes we're talking quite literally about magic and the metaphor is gone. So talk to us about how do we blend science in with the spirit and is there a difference between the two? No, modern science doesn't see consciousness or spirit as the generative force of creation. Modern science works in a box and it doesn't go outside of the box. It's very good at what it does. It's magnificent, but it doesn't go outside of the box. For example, science will not say, we think the Big, big Bang happened because of X, Y, Z. They get to the Big Bang and it stops. So what caused the Big Bang? If you go to esotericism or occultism or the ancient sciences, they will say the Big Bang was a thought from the creator. What I find most interesting is we are told in biblical terms that we are made in God's image. And if that's so, we are also capable of creation from thought. Okay. So with paranormal now, experiences, mm -hmm. you may go out into the forest and ask for something and you're actually creating an event through synchronicity and you'll have an okay. experience i want to get to that but the fact is that you brought up god and uh christianity and biblical text without mm -hmm. a snicker and mm -hmm. most of the time when people see someone like you and has gone through this list of schools and and uh devoted her life to what many would just call the new age movement they would put a blanket over it and say she's involved with the new age movement but here now you're talking about something that represents the singularity over um, a savior, a man, a, a man made in God's image. Um, the, so that's very interesting. Not only I know that about you, but for most people here, how did that come about, that transition from all of these other schools here to be talking about something like Christianity? I um, am as far from New Age as you can get, but... Um... I don't have a conflict with Christianity. I, uh, I feel that these arts and sciences which predate Christianity actually validate the doctrine and dogma of Christianity. Again, when you refer to allegories and metaphors and to stop, you know, that is a language. It's an ancient language using metaphors and allegories you see them in biblical text right you see you see the parables but that is a language it's symbolic and when you understand that universal language you can look at the bible and you will see 
just like I did with alchemy and ritual magic and all of the hermetic te mm -hmm. texts, the, the Corpus Hermeticum, um, you will see the same universal wisdom that mm -hmm. predates Christianity. And uh, when you study what I study also, <sighs> there's an answer to what is God. If I were to ask a person on the street, does God exist? Yes, no. What is it? Tell me what it is. I don't think they would have an answer, but an occultist, an esotericist, or a hermeticist would have an answer. It would take a long, you know, good hour to talk about it, but they would have an answer. So for me, mm -hmm. I don't look at Christianity, which I wasn't raised Christian, right? Like, like you were. But I don't look at Christianity as something childish or or that we're too advanced to mm -hmm. still do that kind of thing i don't see it that way at all because i am convinced of the first hermetic principle which is the all is mind the mm -hmm. universe is mental that's the principle of mentalism so everything that i interpret and perceive revolves around that concept and then when i experiment experience in the forest with disembodied spirits or uh, holy guardian angels, whatever I'm doing, whether it be magic, shamanism, or whatever, I have experiences that validate the ancient sciences much more than they do modern science. Modern science almost feels like it's there, it has its purpose, it's in the box, and it can tell you you know, how to analyze different things and conclude what they're made up of. But it, it never can go far enough back or, or, or vast enough out there in the grand sense to say, what caused the Big Bang? What is life? What is the life force? Why is it in everything? What is it? What, what makes our hearts keep beating without us even thinking about it, you know? When you really contemplate these things as a philosopher, the paths proliferate when you do it from the point of view that the universe is, is mental, that everything is consciousness. So then suddenly spirits make sense, ghosts make sense, past lives make sense, UFOs make sense, Bigfoot makes sense. <laughs> Everything starts to make well, sense. Well, let me stop you there, past <laughs> lives, because we don't usually talk about past lives in the show because mm -hmm. um, generally I'm skeptical of it. And mm -hmm. so I've spoken to you about this off the record, but I want to talk to you on the record. Do you have an issue with people that claim past lives, and why would that be? I'm a little slippery on it. You know, I'm not God. So I don't know if it's genetic memory and people are – dreaming you know interpreting the information through regression or dreams i probably lean more to past lives but because there's so many texts uh in christianity that say it doesn't exist i'm a little conflicted about it to be honest with you but i feel like i've had past lives and again it can be a, a past life that your consciousness experienced it can be inherited memories through your genes through your family stream or it can be an egregore that you slip into so what's an egregore <laughs> glad, glad you asked do you want me to yeah 
So everyone has experienced the political elections and you see a group of people come together and, and they all have a common perception. They all have common wisdom they're dumping into it, common emotions. And it's like, think of it like a big cauldron of consciousness, but it belongs to all the Democrats. And then you go to the Republicans, it belongs to all the Republicans, another egregore. You can go to a religion that has an egregore. Your family has an egregore. And what's funny is you'll notice that when you're in a group of people and you you have this cauldron of, of wisdom, this cauldron of information that you share, because we're all made of light, energy, and light carries packets of information. And we're picking up on everybody's thoughts. Suddenly mm-hmm. you're thinking something, someone else brings it up, or you know something that I know and you don't know how you know it. Um, Masonic lodges have an egregore. Uh, the order I'm a member of has a very ancient egregore. So I have access to wisdom that I normally wouldn't have or information or emotions that I can It's like, you know, you hear people talking about the Akashic records and they, they go and they, like Edgar Casey was able to access that. That is the universal egregore. So they're like cauldrons of wisdom that you can access energetically or with your consciousness. Okay. So on past lives, uh, it can be that. But these egregores can take on physical forms too. Are they, am I mistaken though? This is also a a thought form that can take on a physical manifestation? No, that egregore is not that. That's a tulpa uh, or a homunculus that someone creates and breathes life into. Um. Egregores can become conscious beings where they, they, want, they want to create more of what they have. Mm-hmm. So they'll, they'll influence the participants or the members within the group. Let's say it's an egregore filled with a lot of angry, mean people. <laughs> so that egregore will encourage angry and mean to continue creating more, more food for the cauldron. Okay. So that's how things get influenced in religions. And when religions go bad, when that egregore becomes corrupted or polluted. And I hesitate to say this because I don't like to stick my finger uh, in things, but I think the Catholic Church has been under attack from some pretty negative influences. I'm sure a lot of people would agree. And that is very sad because it turns people away from the wisdom that's held within the original dogma, meaning words of God, doctrine, the teachings of the church, which are good. It's the humans always that ruin it for us, (laughs) that go and burn people and are prejudiced and cause a lot of pain. That's Well, and there's there's so much power there and money, and Mm -hmm. how do you stop man pedophilia something like that um well we're we're all only human and that's why the mystery schools had very specific tests before mm. you were able to learn you had to be a person of of purity you had to be a person of morals and goodness so they had tests that they gave people before they allowed them into that cauldron of wisdom that stream of wisdom that was so ancient and precious they would give a test one of the tests which i find fascinating was how do you know 
when someone's in pain? How, how do you know when someone's in pain? Everyone, go ahead and answer that for yourself. <laughs> well, you can, I'll answer it here. I mean, there's obviously an emotion that's set forth in a room, but usually it has to do with facial expressions or um, the lack of uh, any kind of comment coming from them. There's a lot of silence, perhaps. Yeah. So the answer is, you know they're in pain because you're in pain. Yeah. So um, when you're that, when you're that okay. open hearted and that compassionate, you will feel the pain of others, really feel it in a way that maybe you and I have never experienced. There are times when I feel like I was able to feel things. So mm. how does this relate to, you know, paranormal things? How does it relate mm. to that? Well, when you open your heart that much, you're able to perceive first through feeling. You become aware and you begin to perceive the feelings of the, of the beings which are around you. You have to be that open. Pretty, pretty amazing. Well, yeah, I'm glad you said that because, of course, I'm thinking back to my own experiences here and whether or not that, that was the case. And when we talk about these things, you know, we're coming up here on episode 100. We covered a wide range of topics on the show and um, that subject has never come up. Well, that's something that's, you know, maybe not taught anymore. I don't know. But um, when you go out into nature or, oh, okay. So you, you've seen the examples of when you're in a classroom and someone's staring at the back of your head and you turn around. Mm -hmm. And we all have that capacity to perceive another consciousness, whether it's embodied or disembodied. So when I go out into the forest, if I'm with you and Aaron and goofing around and laughing, I'm not going to, I'm not psychic, you know, like on demand. I have to really get myself into a center, a still point to, to, you know, I'm not a natural mind reader or I can't just go, oh, the being is over there. <laughs> it doesn't happen for me. But when I go out into nature and I'm alone, I become, my consciousness goes out so far that I'm sensing, and, and really what I'm doing is I'm sensing danger. I'm sensing, is there a mountain lion? Is there a bear? I want to keep my dog safe. I'm looking at the ground. And my consciousness, this expands out so far that I'm picking up psychically, I guess, intuitively, everything around me. That's what you do, but you don't do it, you know, because you're afraid. You just become one with nature. So you're not crossing paths with the mountain lion. You're like the mountain lion. You're now equal to the bear. So it's that spidey sense that we all mm -hmm. have that you can, just by thinking about it, bring it forth or kick it into action. And do you think uh, most people should be aware of this kind of knowledge? Because I don't know if I necessarily believe they should. Um, like I said, I mean, I've mentioned it before, but not everybody should take the red pill. Some people just can't handle what you're talking about right now. I mean, even some of the shows that we've done here have just been too much for some audience members. And I keep it, you know, pretty 
uh, you know, G-rated. And, uh, you know, so how do you feel about that? Is this everybody's mission statement? I think everyone has a choice and there's a time for everything. Not everyone is living the life of a monk or a sage or, you know, there are greater things for others, like they're raising children, they're putting mm -hmm. food on the table. Um, there's so many other things. But for those that want to take a moment to step out of that, it's mm -hmm. certainly there for them. And if they want to know about it, there are simplistic ways to begin. How would one begin? Maybe by watching our webinars. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a good promo. I'm going to put that in the <laughs> teaser there. Um, you know, I think a good place to, to start here for us, um, now that we have a little more understanding, and I hope everybody listening here has an understanding where we're coming from, is that we're trying to take a deeper dive here, understanding how to approach spirit because so much of what we talk about here is described as these interactions with entities flesh and blood only we saw a craft we saw a cryptid we saw we had an experience with a ghost we we saw a guardian angel it really boils down to a supernatural spiritual experience that is always arm's length out with and you told me during the whole al moon chapter is that the secrets want to keep themselves and yeah the there secrets. was never a more uh, true statement the secrets protect themselves so they're wired in a certain way where there is and i see this in the paranormal researchers all the time there's always a logical explanation for what happens to you but you know yourself it's a synchronicity and the odds of it happening the way it does are like a million to one so that's what they do. That's how it's wired. But what is it? Well, it's an initiation or an invitation to initiate. What is initiation? It means to commence. Commence to what? Commence to asking the questions. Is there more to reality than what we have today? Is there more to reality that may bring me closer to the creator, the all that is, God, Christ, whatever you want to you know, go to? And when you begin to ask this question, everything answers you. <laughs> it starts happening. As you know, the more you focus on it, the more it focuses on you. And it hears you. It listens. It answers your questions in such a synchronistic way that you can always say, well, oh, it was just a dead rabbit. Somebody just left a dead rabbit there. It must have been just dropped there from a passing coyote or something. But you had just spoken about a rabbit, and then a dead rabbit appears. How often does a dead rabbit appear? Once in a lifetime, three times in a lifetime. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's wired to really make it very personal. Um, you said that you and Aaron found a name for that called tailor-made. Mm. It is very personal, but it is an initiation. Everyone gets the invitation. Not everyone RSVPs for the reasons we just discussed, and that's okay. But you're invited to become, to come closer to the all that is, mm -hmm. the intelligence in the universe. And where that path takes you, each person is different. But at the bottom of the rabbit hole, God is waiting. The end. I mean, I was not raised Christian. So mm -hmm. my path has been the path of the serpent. 
in, out, indigenous studies, shamanic studies, hermetic studies, all magical things. Mm -hmm. I studied ritual magic, high magic, Enochian magic, invoking angels, et cetera, et cetera. And I finally got to a place where I realized, oh my God, God is real. Christ is real. The Virgin Mother is real. And so is Isis and Osiris and Odin and all the spirits in the forest and ghosts and all these things actually exist. Mm -hmm. So that's what a, an initiation or a paranormal experience, which I call an initiation, an invitation to initiate. That's what they are. Now because if you, if you ignore it, second, they second, go away. <laughs> these initiations, though, can they also be used as snares to divide you? Uh, from the truth. Yeah. Yeah, okay. there's, a, there's I mean, a demonic... Besides your, besides your gut instinct, what kind of things are people looking for? Because a lot of people are self-assured, and you know these people as well as I do, that they stand as gatekeepers to the truth. They have been enlightened mm -hmm. to these spirit beings, and they communicate via them. They're the gatekeepers. So, uh, you know, I see these people from a mile away, or I see them created... But yet they're so assured that somehow they know the truth. And I think that they've been completely screw taped. Well, the more experiences you have, the less chances of being screw taped. But you're absolutely right. There is a demonic reality, of course. And there's an angelic reality, of course. And then there's a whole ecosystem of a lot of other things. There is a hierarchy, just like there's a hierarchy on Earth. You have humans, animals, plants, trees, moths, insects. In the invisible, you have the same thing, different levels of consciousness. So you do have to learn to discern. And the more experiences you have, like anything, the more you practice, the more you interact, the better it is. But how do you stay safe? Well, the higher your consciousness is during the times you're interacting with the forces or the beings or the spirits. Evil things or the dark things, the demonic things, you're not even in their realm. If you go into the forest in base consciousness, in anger, in fear of the unknown, you will have a dark experience. And sometimes you're not even aware that you're in an emotional state which has brought you into a realm of things that match it. Am I making sense? Yes. So when I encounter a dark experience, I do a check of myself. So why am I having this experience right now? Something's perceiving me that I really don't want to perceive. I'll raise my emotion. I'll raise my consciousness. I'll think about my dog's wiggling tail or a baby laughing or a funny joke. It'll raise me just a hair. And then this experience will dissolve. If you're under demonic attack, I would just say a prayer. <laughs> <laughs> because of what I know. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. I sound like an arrogant, you know what, but <laughs> I'm so sorry. But, uh, but actually, there are, there are scientific studies mm. <laughs> that um, – I think it was Mac, uh, you know, the famous uh, hypnotic regression. John Mac. Yeah. I, I, there were some people that did that type of work where they would regress people for their abduction or their traumatic experiences with the paranormal. And 
someone, I think it was Nick Redfern asked them, and don't quote me on this and forgive me, Nick, if I'm wrong, but he asked them, you know, about prayer. And the ones that prayed ended the event and the ones that didn't pray, it continued. So whatever you mm. think about Christianity or prayer, you know, if it works, it's like mm. being a healer, you know, how good are you? Does it work? Okay, go back. Mm-hmm. But with prayer, I really feel there is the words have power, and our words are based on ancient alphabets, right? The alphabet, which is Hebrew. So all our letters and words are really, words are made up of letters, which are really sigils, and they have a magical power in them, and they're very ancient. So when you say a prayer, these prayers are devised over thousands of years to hold a certain power, the power of Christ and who is Christ God becoming man who then sacrificed himself back to himself which is pretty deep (laughs) and entirely a real thing and you kind of feel that way after you study these sciences that Christianity actually thinks are evil (laughs) once you study them you go yeah God and Christ exist I mean it turns you in a second it converts you and it's so strange to me that we hear all the time no that's evil magic is evil God's the grand magician of the universe so when I see people having paranormal experiences I'm happy for them if I can get a hold of them (laughs) no matter what their experiences are you think there's something to learn Yes, I, every time. I want to read, a, I want to read a quote. Let me read a quote from you here because this is off your website, and I think it's important to understand your perspective. Uh, traumatic events remembered without the emotion become our wisdom. So you're trying to, and tell me if I'm wrong here, is separate people from that emotional element so they can do something with the trauma, therefore be a teacher, learn from it. Exactly. That's transformation. And it's all based in perception. Mm-hmm. Once you understand something, once you make the unconscious conscious, then it comes into the light and it is beneficial for you, no matter how bad it was. It becomes your wisdom. And then you go out and you talk to people like you on your show, mm-hmm. like many of these brave uh, military veterans and mm-hmm. people that come on your show, you know, that they're taking a step into the light and talking about something so dark. But we all learn from it. We all grow from it. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And the darkness part really was never the plan. The thing is, when you do a show like mine, is that I think there's a, um, a miscommunication of the word paranormal or supernatural. Mm-hmm. Paranormal implies UFOs instinctually every time. Mm-hmm. Supernatural implies ghost or demonic presences. I don't feel as though that was true, but yet since I've, you know, the show steers that direction on, under those two pop culture definitions, I don't really know how to get myself out of it. And um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't found that to be true in my own experiences. It, it was never creepy, first of all, although every time I explain it to people, just like, oh, God, weren't you scared? And like, no, I... I would have never wanted to change a detail about any of those experiences there. But yet there's this, uh, it's very difficult to try to unpack that language. Yeah. My friend, you were meant to be a ritual magician or a shaman. I knew it. I told everybody I should have. Because we are wired with no fear. 
of things you can't see with the regular or sense with the regular five senses. Mm-hmm. You're just, it doesn't freak you out. No matter what it looks like <laughs> or how it feels, you, you don't, you're missing, you're missing that. I never had it either. You know, I have this strange thing. I don't know if you have this as well, but. Okay. So you're you, talking about running into a fire. We both have that instinct. Yeah. Or okay. if a tree falls in a dark forest, mm-hmm. you're going to go right. straight for it. I you're going to walk right to it. You don't <laughs> right. know why, but. Right. It's not a you, tree either. You feel you have to go, you know, that right. direction. It, it, it's just the way you're wired. You're wired for it. So, you know, Mm. keep doing what you're doing. You love it for a reason because you're wired to do it. I I mean, in a way you are that because you're asking questions, you're experimenting, you're observing, you're documenting. And in a way, you're just like the ancient shaman or the ancient hermeticist Mm -hmm. or the ancient Egyptian priest. That was his science. That's what he studied. He studied the unseen, the energetic realm. And I think that most people that tune into your shows who have an interest in the inexplicable, mm-hmm. they too have that calling. But where do they go? You know, where do they go to get the information that they, they want? Right. It's really, it's really hard to find. You either get sucked into the velocity marketing of some of these schools, which are, you know, in my early days, I was sucked into them too, you know, spell casting, love potions. <laughs> it's like, no, I don't want to go there. You know, I went, mm-hmm. I went the real ancient mm-hmm. hermetic philosophy. It took me a while, but I asked for it. The universe did some movement, some rearranging and synchronicity had it that I ended up in two, three very beautiful um, study mm. programs. You know, I don't generally have people like you on the show, but the mm. the reason you're on the show is because of the simple comment that the secrets love to keep themselves. And for me, the mysteries, the mysteries protect themselves. Right. But that, that had such a simple elegance to it and it rung true so deep and it still does. I mean, and, and for the witnesses that I talked to, it is the one thing that I always try to get now, out. So, so there's there, there's one thing I want to give a shout out to Jay Widener, who also in the opening of his wonderful book, um, the book of the cross of Hindi, um, which is a whole nother thing. It's a, a story about Fulcanelli and why the cathedrals are built on power spots, et cetera. And why the ge- geometry makes them so powerful spiritually. But um he also said, I don't know if he said it the same way, but I think he's, he's, I think it, he was quoting Fulcanelli, who was an alchemist. The secrets protect themselves. So it is something that's been in the mystery school consciousness mm-hmm. for a long time. But um, Jay, if you ever get a chance to listen to him speak about that book on YouTube, mm-hmm. when he's speaking about that book, wow, mm-hmm. amazing. Now, you have been some places um, that few have ever been. Uh, one of these places people know very well, Bohemian Grove. And uh, you've had their ex- experiences there with uh, your family. Yeah. And um, 
you've also been to these initiation spots or these power spots, including Mount Shasta. I've been by Mount Shasta. We all know the rumors of Mount Shasta, but your your Mount Shasta experiences are kind of like my experiences down in Oregon. Uh, you know, they sh- kind of shape uh, shaped you and change your perspective. Yeah. Before um, you go any further, mm-hmm. so I never swam in the waters of the Shasta New Agers. So the site that I was at is twenty miles north of Shasta. It's it's on private land, but um, I I never did the New Age thing in Mount Shasta. I just want to say that because I I really am so far from that. I, okay, I'm, not the, the, you, I'm not into the. I'm not into rock tours. And <laughs> why do you have a bone to pick with the New Agers? Um, it's not that I have a bone to pick. It's just that they perceive things so differently. Mm-hmm. Um, in what I study, there's a reason we don't do channeling. I mean, there's a reason if somebody started channeling, I'd be running from the room, <laughs> but there's a reason there's just, I don't even want to go there. They're wonderful, but different. Mm-hmm. My friend Dustin and I were coming down a trail way up high in Panther Meadows on Mount Shasta one day. <laughs> we were just walking down the trail and these people started pointing and staring at us. And one of them said, look, there's a Lemurian. <laughs> they were referring to me. That's what I mean. I'm not <laughs> not into that. I will just admit, they drive me uh, absolutely bonkers. I cannot yeah. do full-on New Ager conferences, New Ager mm-hmm. bookstores. Yeah. I mean, I, it just, uh, it's such tripe to me. And they're, there's they're no, just... re- I can't find the depth that I'm looking for there. All I can smell is patchouli with no, with no depth. <laughs> they're in a different, a different place on the journey. That's all. Okay. Well, everyone, everyone has a different place. On the journey. I'll be the mean one here. In I mean, days. I'd love hanging around anybody. I don't care if they're mm-hmm. Christian, New Age, pagan, whatever. New Agers would never call themselves New Agers. Uh-uh. I mean, they they would never say that. So it's not like we're hurting anyone's feelings. If no, you have a New said... Age bookstore, then you might be a New Ager. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, we'll go into we'll go anyway. into less uh, more delicate waters here. Um, the Bohemian oh, so Gro- you right. So I the, want to talk to you a little bit about Bohemian Grove uh, okay. eventually, yeah. or we can get to that now. I can do it now. I will say this: it's not an order. It's a lot of the uh, it's Freemasonry, Rishikrishnism. It's all the orders are are welcome, but really, it's people of power that gathered the Manhattan project was hatched there. So my experience there, I was only four years old. So why was I brought there at four years old? My memory is my mother bringing me. And when you pull into Bohemian Grove, it's like a winding road that goes through the trees and then it swings around as it swings around before you get to the parking lot. They have all these little cottages, these, and for a little child, you see one cottage decorated with surfing stuff and another cottage is pirate stuff and another, it's like Disneyland when you pull in. It's like, this, is, this place is great, but there is no one there. So when we drove in and parked, my mother took me out and she showed me an ancient tree 
So this is 55 years ago. I'm 61 years old, more than 55 years ago. She showed me an ancient tree and I have fought so hard online to find a picture of this tree, just, just to validate my own memory. But it seemed to have a face, either natural or carved into it and had a hole. My mother said, see that tree? Men will go inside of that tree and they'll speak from the tree. So everyone out here thinks the tree is speaking, meaning Sarah Nunos, Pan, mm. you know. And then she said, but trees do talk. And she took me across the lake and into a little building that had a hallway. And I remember seeing capes hanging on the wall. You know, clearly they were magicians, capes or what have you. And I saw in the back a hearst that once that has horses used for it and a pretend body of a child in a bag, you know, a prop. I saw the owl. Now, what I didn't know then, what I know now is I am born on the Feast of Nemeralia, goddess Diana. And Bohemian Grove was originally dedicated on the Feast of Nemeralia, August 15th, the Feast of Nemeralia, to Diana. And I had, at three years old, been having experiences with beings of light. And they would drift down through the ceiling, and they would just float through the ceiling. And I would run in and tell my mother, Mom, the white people are here. The white people are here. And she'd say, She'd be doing her hair with the rainette in the bathroom. You know, she had the big hair and doing her lipstick at her little boudoir. She'd go, oh, don't worry about it. They'll go away. They never went away. What people don't understand is my mother was not a mother, really. There's a a lot that maybe I'll speak of in the future. I won't speak of it right now, who she was, but no one in my family is Christian. You can think whatever you want. Her family, her father was a Freemason. Members of her family were Freemasons beyond him. So there is an aspect of my mother that um, wasn't real motherly. So I always felt that these beings were angelic, that they were there to take care of me and keep me safe. I don't know what happened at Bohemian Grove, but it was enough for me to have that memory as a three-year-old and carry it through my whole life. When she took me down that hall, she passed my hand to hold the hand of a man, an older old man, and he took me down the hall. And after that, I have no more memory of it. Hmm. Does that bother you? I've never been regressed. I would like to be regressed at some point. You've never been regressed after... Everything here, you haven't gone through any kind of hypnotic regression? No. Because we're just touching the tip of the iceberg here. You've had incredible experiences since an early age and continue to have experiences. They never stopped. Yeah, they never stopped. Um, But they weren't every day. You know, the beings of light. I had another really profound experience with a being of light at 10 years old. 
and that was in my sister's home, which was on our ranch. It had been remodeled. But the first time I ever went into that house, the walls were white and there was blood, dried blood all over the walls. And so my family went in and remodeled it or the workers of my family went in and remodeled it for my sister. My sister had a baby the baby's room, you know, I went as a 10 year old, I guess I, w it was babysitting or something. I was being babysat. And when I went, I was scared to death and I was feeling the dark entities around me. And then a being of light that looks exactly like the Virgin mother, not Christian race shows up at my bedside and I remember smelling the most beautiful roses or flowers around her. But at the time, I had no, you know, at that age, we didn't have internet back then, right? I have to, I have to remind you, you know, 55 years ago, 50 years ago, we didn't have the information fonts that everyone has today. I had no idea who this being was. But here, the mother I didn't have showed up next to me mm. to comfort me the mother of all you know um, another another experience with a light being um happened to me in shasta about 20 miles north of shasta i woke up at 5 30 in the morning and i went outside for some reason my dogs went outside i looked up to the sky and there was what looked like a landing light coming towards me from the north and this was on the border of california and oregon really so it would have been coming down the coastline right and it got closer and closer and I, I thought about, should I get a camera or something? But I didn't want to walk out of the experience. And it got closer and closer. And from the side, it looked exactly the same. And then it crossed over me. It was maybe 200 feet above my cedar trees. And then it went away from me. So from the front, beautiful landing light. From the side, beautiful landing light. From the back, beautiful landing light. What this looked like was a kind of light I had never seen in ordinary reality, but I was wide awake. It looked like a diamond in the sun, so it had every color but white light. It's like when you see a diamond in the sun, how you see color but not really color. Mm -hmm. It was so beautiful and so profound. When it passed right over me, I realized it was maybe only the size of a Volkswagen or something. It, you know, I couldn't see any outline or any material. It was just pure light. It flew over me, flew over the lake, reflected over the lake, flew straight towards Mount Shasta. And I could see Mount Shasta. It was covered in snow. So it was very, in the darkness, it was very, you know, it loomed large. And this thing went right into the side of the cone of Mount Shasta and just poof, blinked out. It went into Mount Shasta? It went right into the side as if it just mm. passed through the side. And for people listening to this and not watching this on YouTube, you know, you get really familiar when you talk to witnesses that have incredible experiences. And to watch your uh, relive this, uh, there's, it's really an honor to do that each and every time because you're right there with her as you're reliving it. And a, and a craft going into a mountain is something that a lot of people talk about, including mm -hmm. at East yeah. Eddy Ranch at Mount Adams. So you've witnessed this before. I think I've seen it maybe on one occasion at, at Mount Adams. Is this in severed hand? 
Yes, and what was different about it is being directly underneath it, that mm. close to it, and having it the size of a car pass over you mm. is different than seeing it all the way in Mount Adams from Isari Meadow. Right. It's right. much different. And something woke me up exactly at that pitch black moment, mm. early, early hours of the morning. My dogs woke up. It, it is just, um, why did I get up at that time of the day to walk outside? Mm-hmm. Was I thinking my dogs needed to go out? What was I thinking? But to immediately walk out and just turn and look up and here it comes. Mm-hmm. And the first thought I had was, oh, that plane is getting awfully low and close. Mm-hmm. So the area I lived in was not just a power spot. So what is a power spot? A power spot, the Hopi called them spots of the fawn. And they're found all over the earth. A hundred percent of our sacred sites are built upon them, including the Giza pyramid. All of our cathedrals, all of our indigenous sacred sites and their composition is water, quartz, granite, minerals, and a magnetic anomaly with a higher than average amount of telluric currents. You can measure these things with instruments. These places seem to blossom and close like flowers blooming. Mm. Every morning at 3 a.m., as the magnetosphere passes over the earth, wherever you are at 3 a.m., anything that will conduct electricity will conduct. They fire up 3 a.m., the witching hour, where you have your paranormal experiences and dead grandmas come to visit us. So everything is tied together to these places, but there are places that are harnessed to where they're much more powerful. And how did ancient people do that? They used granite and an addition of minerals, perhaps burying them in the ground. The site that I studied for eight years or was an experiencer in for eight years used granite. So in this site, there were miles upon miles upon miles of serpentine walls that had no entrances and no exits, much like Michael Tellinger expresses about in South Africa. But they are not circles. They're just serpentine walls going everywhere. Some of them are only one cobble in the line. But they all reach a megalith, which is a mini magnetic anomaly in itself. All of the stone is granite in composition in some way. And this stone also has a very unique attribute, which is liquid quartz. And quartz liquefies at 3,000 degrees. It's said to have fallen from the sky. If it came from the mountain, it would not come in a pure form. So it must have been an, a passing over of a comet or meteor. I'd like to do a show just on power spots in the future, but that is the place I spent eight years in, and I experienced everything but the kitchen sink paranormally within the 4,000 acres. Mm -hmm. That was a power spot, but had been increased and harnessed. It had been geomanced. 
clearly. So when we would measure the energies, they would follow the the walls were following the telluric currents, etc. So energy is like water. If you want to understand earth energy, study water. It goes the same way. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm surprised that you studied this with instruments or studied it at all because you're so embraced with the heart. Yeah. So getting to where you were at the place right. we're calling Severed Hand. Um, near it was, it was on, it's a private... Did you, did, did you study it's, that for other people or did you yes. study it for your own? Yes. I sent a lot of my information to Princeton. That's as much as I'll say. But what was clear to me was we can awaken these places. They go to sleep, but you can awaken them. And so when you go into these places and you're making ceremony or you're singing or you're just really feeling the place and and you're in awe of the cairns and the burials and the place, even this, this place I'd had no one in it for God knows how long. I don't know. You can't measure age in stone. You can look at the patina, but that's about it. Some of the trees were growing through the walls. So, you know, I have no way to say how old it was, but it's on private land. The owners don't want it to be known because it could be taken, you know, I don't, you know, it's not my place to make that kind of decision. I just know I won't share in respect mm-hmm. to owners and in respect to the land itself. So uh, it um, it interacted with me in a way that mm-hmm. was my big initiation. Everything but the kitchen sink happened to me in that place. Bigfoot, UFOs, ball lightning, I mean, mm-hmm. orbs, uh, voices, uh I'll tell you a really funny story. So Bigfooters will love this story. I'm not sure it was, you know, Bigfoot as you think of Bigfoot. But I would take my lunch out. I'd have cameras, tri-field meter, uh, cell phone. I'd stop. I'd photograph a burial or photograph a wall or do what I was doing. It was 4,000 acres. Nobody on it. Never saw another person. Dogs ran wild. I ran wild. Lots of rattlesnakes. So I would sit down and have my lunch. And I'd always bring a big gallon jug of water and a dog bowl. And I'd put the dog bowl down for my dogs to drink out of. And I'll be damned. Right in front of me, I'm eating my sandwich. I have the dog bowl. I look at my pack or something with my sandwich. I look down. My water bowl is completely gone. Nowhere to be found. Never found it again. Completely dematerialized. Gone. I had it happen with gloves, with dog leashes, with sunglasses, but never as profound as I look at it, I take a bite, I look back, it's gone. It would always be in ways where I couldn't quite remember if I left the glove there or left Mm -hmm. the dog leash there. But this time, my own evidence to myself, these things were dematerializing because I didn't pass out. I didn't fall off the rock while eating my sandwich. I, I had my sandwich and I looked down and the bowl was gone. But a month or two later, I could be hiking a different area. There were no trails, only animal trails. So I I was always bushwhacking, climbing, you know, a 45-degree angle hill. It was unbelievable what I used to be able to do. And I would find my glove sticking up like this on a bush, like it's waving at me a couple months later, you know, or my eyeglasses put on a rock or something, 
it's just it was just like whatever whatever it was was saying hey ha ha you know i'm out here mm-hmm. now why attribute that to a cryptid like sasquatch do you i didn't think- attribute it to a cryptid i don't know um at the time i always felt a presence it was so strong that i would often turn and say just to the whatever i can't see you but i know you're here <laughs> Right. So this is not in a forest. This is open high chaparral with nothing but jagged boulders and sagebrush and, you know, Mm -hmm. stickery things. Think Mars, people. I mean, it's very Martian like, I mean, you know, undulating rocky hills. Mm -hmm. Uh, The cairns, the walls, the altars out there were incredibly ancient looking, just incredible. And I would, you know, I would come across cryptid prints that were not Bigfoot. Is that the right term, cryptid? I mean, they weren't the human foot. They were like a mm-hmm. three-toed dinosaur print or something. <laughs> it's like, what the heck? Were, and you I would, interested in, were you interested in that phenomena to the degree where you had collected evidence for Princeton? Did they get that kind of information too? I sent it. It was like sending it to the government where you never get it back. You don't know. <laughs> did you, well, did you get any kind of resonance from them? Did they Mm-mm. respond at all? No. 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 They just would respond with, we're sending you a tri-filled meter or we're sending mm-hmm. you a camera. Mm-hmm. So I was really just a ground scout, and I had to educate myself to understand what it was I was doing. And I learned a lot. It was eight years of focusing only on why is everything but the kitchen sink happening? One of the things that I learned was what I call walking in beauty. It's the running conversation with nature. But what it really is in a power spot, in a true power spot, you're in an altered state that is completely alert and conscious. You could be doing a math equation and you're still in an altered state. Is that possible? Yes. I can tell you it is, even though someone else might say I'm full of, you know, hooey. But I was in an altered state the minute I walked into that site mm-hmm. the whole time. But I was absolutely conscious, talking, you know, doing things, functioning. But I had to have been in an altered state to perceive what I perceived. And it was like a box of chocolates every day, like Forrest Gump says, you never knew what you were going to get. Well, let me get to this point here because we won't be able to go through the whole thing during this time, but I want to. When you left the spot, did it say goodbye to you in its own way? Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. And how did that Oh, work? yeah. There were um, – so in the green language, the symbols aren't always like you would think. Like you would think branches on the ground making a symbol or, you know. They were living symbols. And there was one that I remember so vividly, and that was the Red Hawk. And she would always appear almost as if it was the spirit of place. You know, when I was talking or reaching out to the spirit of place, that Red Hawk would appear. And she would follow me through the whole site, like something was writing in her you know, merged with her. And so when I left, I went out and that hawk was there 
and I have a photograph of her. She, I went out with my sandwich and she landed in the tree closer to me than I had ever seen. And that was the last time I was there. And oftentimes I feel like these spots tip their hat at you even after you leave. Some people would say that you have a hitchhiker. Um, no, that was that they, the they case open for you? you. Well, I can't really say in my case, but I have heard that with other people. Mm. My experience continued before severed hand and after severed hand. So I had always been cracked open. Once you open those gates of the gods, that part of you, it never closes. I think I was born with my gate open. <laughs> so, you know, walking into a sacred site was like the paranormal on steroids or mm -hmm. being having PSI on steroids. And it, it will continue for the rest of my life, of course, because I practice. You know, it is a skill that we can all acquire. We can all become more... Uh, we can all have more paranormal experiences. We can bring them in. We can all do that simply by focusing on it. Okay. Well, explain what you mean. Well, it's a part of my life. I study the mysteries. So I do a lot of invocations of angelic beings and evocations. And it is my whole life is reaching out into the unseen and unknown. Mm -hmm make it more Let, real for let's you let's talk to the guy working at 7-eleven who just found us on youtube and wants to have a, a paranormal or supernatural experience let's say 20 percent of what you had happen at severed hand or what i had happen at the al moon lab i always suggest that um they start looking into place names that's what henry franzoni told me to do that's what yeah. worked find that's these true. places that are named after strange uh, beings or strange devils. events. <laughs> Dustin used to say yeah, that to right. me a lot. Just look um, for the devil in the name. Devil's Tower, Devil's right. Gulch, Devil's Kitchen. It doesn't mean kitchen, you're going to find the devil. devil. It just means that you're going to find something that yeah. is perceived as different. So what would you yeah. say? I would say look for a power spot. You might be sitting in one right now. You don't know. You might I'm be. Definitely. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a power spot is the best place to start. But you don't have to be in a power spot to have a paranormal experience. Either you, yourself as a human being, are a power spot. You can mm. become a power spot yourself. You have all the same ingredients, right? And when you're I say that again, you're water. saying a human can be a walking, talking, traveling power spot? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Wow, that's so, like a lot of responsibility. So yeah. how does that happen? Well, for example, when you're a woman and you give birth to a child, you're bringing an otherworldly being into matter, into our realm. You're like a wormhole or you're like a vortex, right? So we do it all the time as human beings. Mm -hmm. Again, we're made in the image of God. God is a grand magician. He's going to do all these things in creation. We have the same capacity. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just by what we're composed of, the iron in our blood, very special thing um the minerals the salt which is crystalline in nature our own uh aura and chakras are an energy field a vortex we also have mag magnetite in our brains we are composed of what a power site a power place is composed of so if you rev up your sphere of sensation or what you call an aura you know when you fill with light and you bring that life force which is 
all around us and you focus it, you can open a doorway. You, anybody, guy at 7-Eleven can open the doorway, you know, the gateway. You we're meant, we are spiritual, we're spiritual beings. We are meant to do these things. Skeptics can hoo-ha, but skeptics mm. don't have the same information or experience that we have or that some people have, mm -hmm. right? Have you watched skeptics, hard-nosed skeptics, mm -hmm. uh, come to you or work alongside with you and have these kind of transformations? And can you talk about one of those? Yeah. So the people you think are skeptics in secret really aren't, where they wouldn't be doing projects of skepticism with the paranormal. <laughs> So without naming any names, think of all the skeptics that you know, and they've all had an experience. But, you know, it, they're, they're traumatized. It's a like there's no atheist in a foxhole, and you're talking about yeah. walking with spirit being the foxhole. Yeah, they're not quite as elaborate as I am, or, you know, <laughs> they're, they, 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 they want to remain in science and grounded and logical and everything, but most of them have had experiences mm -hmm. at some point in their life. If not with a UFO or a Bigfoot, they have had spiritual experiences because we're all human beings and mm -hmm. we all have spiritual experiences. Hold that thought about uh, UFOs because that's where we're headed next here. With me again is Ira Wolfnison. The website is Heart Unafraid, and um, we're going to get going on this uh, this UFO trail here and talk a little bit more about that. Don't go anywhere. Thanks for listening to the show. And if you'd like to get even more content, you can via our Strange Brow Radio Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Strange Brow Radio. That's B-R-A-U radio. And for as little as three bucks a month, Imagine that, three bucks a month. You could subscribe, and then, heck, you could unsubscribe 30 days later. Take advantage of all this hidden members-only content on here, including our quarantine webinars, our field research, the Al Moon Lab, a shared paranormal experiment audiobook, our quarantine webinars, including Marcia K. Moore and Brian Forrester, Ron Moorhead, Scott Nelson, including our very own Ira Wolfnosen. So check it out, won't you, at patreon.com forward slash strangebrowradio. There is a lot of hidden content awaiting for three bucks a month. You got nothing to lose. Let's say you can't do that. though. Let's say times are tough. I get that. Well, just go over to strangebrowradio.com. Go to our merch store. And there for get yourself a bumper sticker. Still helps out the show. And... You get yourself a hoodie. These are exclusive Strange Brow Radio hoodies. Great for this time of year. Also, of course, our official Strange Brow Radio logo t-shirt. So, check it out. I appreciate you listening. And, of course, I will see you in the trees. We're back with Eero Wolfnosen. I'm going to read a chapter here off of Heart Unafraid so people can get more of a picture of what they can expect when they go on our website because man you have a beautiful way of putting things and uh, it's my pleasure to read these words so from heart unafraid 
Magicians of the Beautiful is a literary project in progress or a book which speaks to unique and ancient method of healing past trauma and adversity. Traumatic events remembered without the emotion become our wisdom. The project also discusses how inexplicable occurrences, paranormal experiences, appear to enter our lives during and after intense trauma as if a door has been opened. In more surprising and rare cases, the, these have been known to immediately precede them. What are they? Where do they come from? What are these events and beings trying to tell us? Do they have a purpose with the human spiritual journey? The most ancient of answers may surprise you. So that's what you can expect more of. Um, just beautiful words that uh, condense what I've been trying to explain and put out on Strange Brow Radio, which, you know, was a show really conceived in a pizza restaurant with a couple of Bigfoot witnesses. And what people don't really know is um, I stopped the show originally because I felt as though I was being a little dishonest talking only about Bigfoot. I didn't know really how to explain a place like Severed Hand or Al Moon Lab. I'd only recently read Skinwalker Ranch, The Hunt for Skinwalker Ranch. And, uh, you know, these extended experiencers, which I call them, kept telling me, no, there's way more to the story here. And they would say, the kitchen sink happens. And so in my pursuit is what I call myself an ambulance chaser, chasing down these experiences that you had for seven or eight years where you immersed yourself in one location to under, understand this hidden language. Uh, these initiations brought me to the Al Moon Lab. Now, you had some comments and questions here. Before we uh, talk about UFOs, um, I'm going to let you have the floor. Well, the important thing is that it's brought you here and you're you're doing a, a, a video right now that includes hermetic philosophy and alchemy and magic. How, how, what path of study are you stepping onto with the initiation, which means commencement? So what was your question? <laughs> well, you had mentioned that you had some questions regarding some of the experiences here and how we can relate them to hermetic principles and initiations. For example, the gifting process. Um, you alluded to the animal mutilations. You said you interpreted these things different than I did after you listened to the book. Yeah. So um, fire away. Well, the gifting process is part of spiritual law. So there's an old indigenous saying that I first heard from my father or grandfather if you want something you give something if you take something you leave something and that is really the root basis of making offerings you know we've all heard of many cultures many spiritual traditions everybody leaves offerings on the altar and what is an altar an altar is a place that alters you. It alters your state of consciousness. Most altars are made of granite, just like power spots. 
So when you go to a place that we call an altar, you pray, which is an altered state of consciousness. You reach out to the spiritual realm. And this should raise your consciousness to become more than human. So reciprocity is a spiritual law. If you want something, you give something. If you take something, Mm -hmm. you leave something. So when you interact with spirits, a lot of times you make an offering, then you begin to interact. There seems to be a key to the door, which involves reciprocity. Reciprocity. It's like saying aluminum. (laughs) (laughs) When we see that animals are being sacrificed, it depends on the level of consciousness. Um, No one has a right to take another life, whether it be an animal or a human, unless it is to survive, i.e. food. So, you know, when I hear about animal sacrifice, if you're just going to kill something to sacrifice it and not do it for the reason of your own survival or your family's survival, to me, you're wrong. I feel it in my gut. And I also know that there's no reason, unless I'm working some sort of dark magic or selfish magic, that I need that extra boost that I would have to take life. I have never done that. I never will. But we hear about it all the time, human sacrifice. In the ancient times, when things were right, people pre-Christianity, pre-religion, there were different religions, the old religions, people would make a sacrifice of a person. But they also believed that the world was going to end. Or they believed the sun wouldn't come up again. And people would offer themselves in sacrifice. That's different than being taken in sacrifice. So there's always two sides to every story. But in today's world, there is absolutely no reason to take the life of anything for sacrifice. You can leave... If you look at it from a spiritual sense, a sunflower seed left with a feeling from the heart is as powerful as a bag of $100,000 left on the altar. (laughs) You know, the spirits, it's the act itself of giving that is good enough. You can leave, like I would do, I would leave a strand of hair. You get what you ask for, and you are speaking symbolically. Again, mm-hmm. the all that is, God, the creator, including mm-hmm. the spiritual realm, they speak in symbols. So a lot of the glyphs you see, which resemble runes, runes came from Odin. Odin was the great magician. Odin brought runes into reality. He learned magic from Freya. So When Odin brought the runes in, runes are all based on the way twigs fall. And they have a basic meaning, but then they're like hieroglyphs. They have a very deeper meaning. So it's a universal archetype, like the alphabet, like hieroglyphs, like petroglyphs. Mm -hmm. And all of our subconscious knows this language. We all know it on some level. 
but what I've found is spiritual beings use this language, whether it be dropping twigs to look like runes. Unfortunately, if you don't have a knowledge of runes or universal symbols or sigils, oftentimes you miss a lot of the good stuff. It's just the way the universe is made. It's a, a pattern. It's, it's a mm-hmm. like solvent coagulate. You know, there are systems in nature that repeat. There are patterns that repeat. Uh, there are, it's very much, what is this word I'm looking for? Like the hologram, you know, as above, so below the macrocosm, the microcosm contains the whole macrocosm. What is that called? The hologram or something? Okay. So, so when you're working with (laughs) sigils and alphabet runes, there's a universal language to it Mm -hmm. and, and you can begin to communicate that way. So, you know, the whole big So one of the universal symbols that keep coming up, not only with hauntings and in our case, um, the kitchen sink is the number three and three comes up a lot. Um, uh, three, six. You mean three? (laughs) Well, okay. So you made a pyramid with your hand for people listening to that. What is it about the number three? Three. Well, it's balance, number one. It's finding the still point, number two. And it also speaks very clearly to the premise that we live in a top-down universe, not a bottom-up universe like science likes to say that's the only evidence they have is that we evolved up. In the ancient arts and sciences, it's a top-down universe. We were thought into existence with an intelligent plan by an intelligent creator. So when you see the pyramid or the auspices, uh, the uh, Deo, and it has the eye in it, that's not the Illuminati. I mean, maybe it is, but originally the symbolism is to remind you, you live in a top-down universe. And three, the Trinity is a part of that. Even with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Isis, Horus, uh, Osiris, there are examples of it everywhere. It is balance. Masculine, feminine, child. Mm-hmm. Is it also a doorway? I mean, it seems it is a part. It the... is a part. It is a part of the doorway aspect. Okay. It is a part of opening into spirit. Yes, it's very much a part of that. For example, you... three three knocks in a mm-hmm. in a traditionally haunted house. Oh man! Um, so is... I had I had the three knocks just before Pearl died last week. I knew when I heard him. Just as I'm starting to drift off to sleep. To me, I knew what that meant. To you, it may mean something totally different. Mm-hmm. But to me, I started thinking, "Oh my God, who's going to die?" is dying and we should mention too this is a teacher that uh you know Mm -hmm. very well yeah Mm. um oddly enough and i will mention this um because i don't think it's any secret um right before you called and and we found out that this woman had died that aaron had known we we heard knocks as well and i heard uh well when i first heard she was in hospice so mm-hmm. I spoke to her on the 24th. She collapsed, and then she went into hospice at home. Mm-hmm. So there was a very short window of time before she died. And the night she died, I hadn't gotten the phone call yet, but I got again. 
But this time it was between 10 and 11 Mm. at night. And Mm. she probably died between 8 and 11. But for me, that that is very symbolic. So the spirits know what I think of that, you know, or the angels know. These knocks and taps in general, because anybody who follows, uh, you know, what I've done on SoundCloud with the Held and Bobby dollhouse was mostly knocks. It still is knocks, raps, Mm -hmm. taps, hits. Um, These are things that were the precursors of understanding the initiation of the Al Moon Lab. I've always explained explained these sounds as energy passing through some kind of physical matter, a supernatural uh, sonic wave. Um, yeah, it has a percussive element. What 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 is your explanation for these sounds? Well, they're not um, in physical reality. I think that what happens is something plays upon our uh, brain. And then we perceive that we're hearing a knock. It's sort of like if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one to hear it Mm. with their senses, then did it make a sound? I just want to say one thing before I go further. You know, in some religions, anything that communicates with you like that is considered demonic. I don't Mm. feel that way. I feel that the whole ecosystem out there, all spirits kind of have the same talents or you know, they can all do things like that. So to me, when I would hear knocks, I was a couple of times living in a log house where if you knock on the outside of a log house, <laughs> there's no sound. And yet I, I was hearing it. My mother was hearing it. Mm-hmm. Also, also big planters were being moved around on the deck and you'd go out and they hadn't even moved. And you can tell if something has moved because mm-hmm. there's a aging around planters and things. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's actually something that comes in and affects our, the parts of us that hear or see. So it's, it's not really... It's, it's physical. I mean, that is something happening to the point where you can record it and others can experience it. Oh, I don't know then. I mean, but that's your case because at, at the place well, you're it's talking never... about, the log house, other people heard these yeah. knocks. Well, no one recorded it, so I don't know. Right. If you record right. something and it's picked up in video recording, mm-hmm. for me, again, the mysteries protect themselves. So that was one theory that I heard. Mm-hmm. was that things can be manipulated in your brain to hear mm-hmm. them. You're talking right. about when someone records them. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be a different thing. So there's another old saying, it's neither this or that. It's usually both. <laughs> well, that would make sense. <laughs> the mysteries of, protect themselves. There's you know, a Hen- logical. I'll refer back to Henry Franzoni. Um, you know, he said that these things appear within the layers and through the rhythm of a drum beat within the precursor and the end of a drum beat, there you'll find the answer within that vibrational state. Now, that sound, that's a lot to, to take in, folks, but really all he's saying is that the spirit world is interacting with you even through these digital devices in between these layers. And if you want to find out where their home is, you have to have a lot of layers. You can't just have your ears and I've tried to explain that again and again to just the regular ghost hunters of the world that want to catch an EVP. I'm like, well, our, our cup runneth over with EVPs. And it wasn't, you know, I think on one occasion it may be 
due to a cell phone turning on. But that was only the case for that one thing. It doesn't explain 99% of it. So um, I don't know, the... Toby. I can't even begin to imagine because you research these things and you're also scientifically leaning to understand how it's happening. Mm-hmm. I've never taken the time to even take pictures of things. <laughs> They're happening. That's not true. I've seen your pictures. So, Very I mean, are few. you saying that all of your evidence collection was only for Princeton? You haven't done anything on your own for the book? Really? Mm-mm. I don't are, are stop you... and, you know, I have friends that will actually raise their voice to me. I'll say, you know, it just happened to me. And then I say, and they'll go, did you get the barometer? Did you get the temperature? Did you check the time? Did you mark it down? Did you put it on your calendar? And I'm like, if I do that, then I I step out of the experience and I don't have it. I understand that to some degree, but I'm conflicted over the fact that it seems special enough to where if your kid took his first step, (laughs) you would want to to get the video camera out to witness it. So... I think Can it just be to... a photo album of an experience of this weird relationship? Yeah, I, you have? I, I, I certainly, if I become aware, mm-hmm. I'll take a picture. But I think I'm more the experiment than I am the experimenter. I think I make a better experiment myself than to be experimenting on the okay. phenomena. But when you're talking about the vibration between the beats of a drum, um, if you don't have a drum that creates that, you don't want that drum. You have to have a drum that if you beat, dune, 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 it starts to vibrate, and, be, and then you slow it down to see how long you can make that vibration last. That's the key. That's what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And in that vibration, because in hermetic principles, the principle of vibration, everything vibrates. Just like with the emotion, when I was talking about the different realms that perceive you, Mm-hmm. That vibration connects you to the vibration of the entire universe. Now you're in touch with everything. That's why drumming is, sonic driving is so special. Okay, and explain, put, explain what that is. When you match the energy via emotion or vibration with, um, when I do, uh, I vibrate the words of God when I'm doing a magical ritual. When I'm drawing a pentagram, I'm vibrating the words of God. As I draw the pentagram, right? And charging it. The principle of vibration will connect you to the spiritual realm. Mm -hmm. So it's the same with drumming. If you're not vibrating the words like you see in many different cultures, you can vibrate your body through drumming if you drum correctly. Then you're starting to now become less Mm -hmm. matter and more energy. You're vibrating. As you vibrate higher, you're less matter and more energy, which is closer to the spiritual realm. Therefore, that's how you open those doorways. So I use my voice when I'm vibrating the name of God. And other people will use drumming. Do that that hum between. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's something to it. It's magical. Or it wouldn't have survived for 10,000 years in our culture, <laughs> put it that okay. way. And I want to come back to something you said. You use, you made the shape of a pentagram. Now, a lot of people are going to be 
concerned uh. over that. Yeah. And now, why, why do you think they shouldn't be concerned? Why wouldn't you use a cross? Well, I do use a cross sometimes when I'm doing a different ritual. <laughs> but uh, the pentagram is just the four elements, air, earth, wa fire, water. And the top of the pentagram, the top of the star, is spirit, top-down universe. So under spirit are the four elements which make up everything in the material universe. So it's a very old sacred symbol. Uh, in the Essenes and the Therapeutae, it was understood and used, which are the precursors and antecedents of Christianity, or mm -hmm. right around the time, just maybe 100 years. So um, in Kavala, same thing. Uh, You're talking about Jewish mysticism? Yes. So okay. you have Christian mysticism, Jewish mysticism, the Orphic, the... Eleusinian, the Mithraic, they all have the same principles and the same themes and the same goals and the same information. They all happened at different times and in different places in some cases. But the pentagram is not an evil symbol unless you turn it upside down. So when you turn it upside down, now spirit, the top of the star over the elements is now at the bottom. Now you have science. <laughs> Now you have intellect, but in the wrong hands, it becomes complete evil. Mm. It's the inversion of the way things are. And whenever you turn the way things are, the way they're made upside down, then you have the opposing polarity. The opposite of good is bad, right? Right, as what you would do with a, a crucifix. Mm -hmm. And then you would have... Mm -hmm. Something like devil worship or Satanism. So the crucifix is good, right? But when you turn it upside down, now you've inverted it and made a mockery of it. It's no longer God's mm -hmm. creation the way it was created. The symbolism mm -hmm. is now inverted. That's why when we see an inverted pen pentagram, we understand. On some level, it's evil. And on the other part of it, because evil comes in degrees, on the other part of it in an inverted mm -hmm. pentagram is about Satanism. And Satanism is something that is evil. I don't know how to explain what I'm trying to say. Wow. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I interviewed so darkness, a darkness is not always a bad thing. Sometimes you can use it as a tool. Mm-hmm. You know, you just real quick, I interviewed a Satanist, uh, a University of Oregon professor, around the first 10 episodes I did, mm -hmm. and he was very intellectual. And yeah. He said, if you want to understand the Church of Satan, you ha have to understand we don't believe in the devil. We don't believe That's in any correct. of that stuff. That's our correct. Intel our but... <laughs> intellect is our God, and yeah. science is our God. And yeah. so we are just uh, you know, looking so for answers through science only. Yeah, that's exactly true. But okay. there's a lot of variations on it because some people take it and go a step further where it is all about your will with a little W mm. and divine will with a capital W is no longer in the mix. Mm -hmm. So do as thou, thou wilt. That is the whole of the law, blah, blah, Crowley. Mm -hmm. What he meant was, you know, some people say he meant the capital W, but I don't, I don't think so. He was a very dark person. You're talking yeah. about Aleister Crowley? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's some talk that he committed some really heinous crimes against some of some of the people that work for him, men. 
you can imagine, like your imagination run wild. Yeah. Um, these symbols, how important are they to these secret schools? Because one of the things we hear, again, I'm a student of this, is that these symbols are hidden all over and they're done as kind of a secret acknowledgement to people that have so been you're talking about that have been initiated. The... Yeah. Well, it depends if you're uh, in, a, in a high magic or mm -hmm. if you're in Satanism. Or if you're in the general public or you're a Christian, I mean, everybody thinks they know what they mean. But the ancient clean and pure meanings were never bad. The symbols were never bad. In the right. ancient mystery schools, they were communicating how nature worked, mm -hmm. uh, the spiritual forces that were at work within nature. When I look at the all-seeing eye or people going like this and everybody freaks out, you know, uh, or this, you know, to me, this is a sign of protection. But to everybody else, it's, you know, keeping secrets and um, uh, evil symbolism in celebrity ship. They've taken it and inverted the meaning of it, whereas to me, it's part of the sign of Hippocrates which is a magical way to charge something and then you keep the energy from rolling back at you by making a certain symbol, which is... Just people know you're putting your finger over your lips. Yeah. Yeah. Shh. <laughs> that's not... That's, I would think that would be to say I'm not a squealer. I'm not going to talk about our secrets. But that's well, it, it does mean that. So there's the thing about symbols again. You know, they have many meanings, but if you're speaking esoterically or metaphysically or as an occultist or a magician, yeah. ritual magician, it has a different meaning that is not bad. So I get a lot of pushback from people who are more leaning Christian, and I'm a Christian, but I get a lot of pushback for what I study and what actually brought me to that from people mm. who think they've been told for so long that everything I'm talking about here today is evil. Mm. God created everything. How can, how can a science that uh, begins with the word God, like alchemy, be evil? It's God's science. Or they say, well, um, demons brought it in into the, when they came mm. into the daughters of men, etc., in the Nephilim story. Mm. Well, then again, you know, who taught the demons? They were once angels, and who taught them? But God. It's a science. It's a holy science, the things, these things. And they are meant uh, to help us understand. Do you take issue with Scripture as it's written? No, because I can ask, access it in Hebrew or Latin. And believe me, if I'm going to study something, I'm going to look mm. at it from every angle I can, just like mm. you should do with anything in your life. You know, you're, you're able to discern right from wrong just in your own gut. You were, you were born with that gift. You were created with that gift. You know right from wrong. So you feel it when you're doing something wrong, right? I do. I don't know if everybody yeah. feels it. Sometimes I feel a little bit less. Sometimes I feel a little bit more. Yeah. But we well, that would, actually, a, that would be a that would be a psychopath if you don't feel. <laughs> feel it. Right. 
and and they're wired like for that. a reason too. Mm. You know, they're created the way they are mm. for a reason. Well, this is interesting. You brought this up because as people are listening to the podcast, we just end, ended a three-part series on abductees, Reef and Bill. And so, in the last episode, we get into the talk of uh, morality as it relates to spirit beings, which they'll call aliens or draconians or Pleiadians. I'll call them spirit beings for now until I know different. And their morality seems to be based upon resources and what they need from you. And that's pretty much it. Um, so I, I take issue a little bit in that episode based upon right and wrong and our own instincts, our humanity, and how do we begin to negotiate where truth is based upon what they say they're doing to well, us for our own good? Uh, yeah, they're violating spiritual law. Number one, do not steal. If you boil down all the commandments and everything mm. in every spiritual tradition, do not steal. Do not steal another person's wife, home, happiness, energy. <laughs> do not steal. So we didn't write these laws. You know, we can't change them. Spiritual laws mm -hmm. exist just like the law of thermodynamics exists or the law mm -hmm. of gravity exists. There are spiritual laws, right, wrong. So when beings come into your house and steal your eggs or your sperm or your energy, you know, they, they make you afraid so they can suck your energy, the fear energy. These are predatory. This is wrong. This is a wrong. It's immoral. It's incorrect. They have no right to do it. But the secret is with black magic or with things like this, you have to give your permission and not saying anything, not energetically pushing back is giving your permission. Say a prayer. Say no. Say you don't have the divine right to do this. Say something. But we're so overcome with terror we lose our sovereignty, but that's part of mm. the enchantment, part of the bewitchment. When people talk about in today's world, how there's this hidden hand that's using symbolism to cast spells on us and programming us. Yes, I believe that's so, but you have to give your permission, but they have to tell you what they're going to do. Now, if they told you what they're going to do, you would say no. So they do it in ways with symbols where it speaks to your subconscious so you're giving permission because your subconscious is not in your consciousness. So that's how really, really high-level black sorcerers or magicians in the world are able to do things to you in a magical manner if you believe that's happening. They have to tell you. So they tell you in a language you don't really understand on a conscious level, but your subconscious does. Remember the mm -hmm. universal archetypes and the language of nature and all the things are based mm -hmm. on that. So these beings have no right to um, take anything from you. And by putting the thought into your head or us sharing this thing like, well, they need to take your eggs because what's the reason they say? Because their race is dying or something. I mean, well, it's, always heard, a different, it's always a different a reason. Things. It's always no. a different reason. It's always a different place. It's always a different everything. Nah, that doesn't make sense at all. If you're that advanced, you've got your... But it's you know, no less together. real. I mean, these people are having real experiences. So Yeah, um, I don't think they they're flesh and though, blood beings. 
I think they can become flesh and blood, mm -hmm. but I, I don't think, I don't think they're like, they think they are like their spaceship came in and landed and they got out mm -hmm. and walked around like, you know. Okay. And I'm going to stop us there because this is where we're headed folks is a webinar for you to join in in the discussion. And so we've landed here on purpose, just like they have. We have a direct purpose here. Only you have the will to watch us or not. And that's going to be on November 17th, coming up at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Ira, you're going to be here. Um, I imagine I will probably at least have one or two guests. You are an abductee. You have experienced this firsthand. You know what it's like to be conflicted over this uh, yeah experience. i never had i never had any doubt it was a spiritual experience but what was baffling to me is there was physical evidence of it left behind which told me it really happened so it wasn't this it wasn't that it was mm -hmm. both it was both physical as well as spiritual my body remained in my house so that's what i want to talk about how consciousness is able to be abducted mm -hmm. So if you have questions, which I'm sure you do, I'll have questions. If you have experiences, if you want to relate your own personal encounter story, if you know a relative that has had an abduction, if you struggle with the word abduction and you've been calling this uh, your encounter or uh, somehow you've had this PC version of your experience of being taken without your permission, I mean, you just heard what Ira said, they broken natural law. If you believe in that, or even conflicted, if you take issue with what I'm saying right now, um, I, I challenge you to join us. Uh, that's again, November 17th, 2020. Now, I'll be advertising this here shortly, and you can sign up for the Zoom meeting because that's the easiest platform to do this. But we're going to be everywhere. We're going to be on the Strange Brow Radio Facebook page like we did before. We're also going to be on YouTube. You can find that at Heart Unafraid. That's also going to be a, a YouTube site here. It already is, but we don't have, uh, I think we have one video up right now. But you can join in on the discussion. So however you want to do that, if you want to go on Facebook, uh, you can. that might be the easiest way for a lot of people. That's what I would like to do. You got a small sample of the direction we're trying to head here. And I hope it wasn't too much too soon. I don't think it was. Um, so, Ira, I really appreciate uh, you taking a chance on me. And uh, like I said, I'm a student here like everybody else. And I mean, look, I've got a bunch of notes. I'll be honest. Everything here is, uh, you know, sloppily written as I'm going through here. You need to do this uh, and yeah. ask questions. Yeah. yeah, we're all students of the mysteries. I'd like to see the wall broken down between religion and the paranormal events that happened because a lot of people struggle with their religion when they have a paranormal experience they just immediately cast it into the demonic realm which it's not always that i'm not saying the mm -hmm. demonic world doesn't exist i i feel like i know it does so but which is a really unusual thing for someone like you to say that there is the demonic realm. So I mean, it's it's refreshing. It's scary. It's all those things. You're not at all yeah, a traditional. Yeah. Well, person. you know, my I have a story involving the demonic realm, but that's for another time. But if you know angels exist, 
and mm. three hermetic principles, this ancient science, you know that the inversion of that exists also. As above, so below. So there's always a polarity involved. There's mm. always an opposite involved. That's how the universe is made. Even science will tell you that. Regular <laughs> modern right. science will agree with that. Ira, uh, we'll be, be talking soon. And I look forward to our first webinar, again, coming up November 17th, 2020. I'll put the links out there so people can get a hold of them. They'll also be starting to arrive on Hard Unafraid. Go check out this website. Um, it's, uh, it's not under construction anymore. We're building something bigger. And so what you see right now is only the beginning, hardunafraid.com. Thank you again, Ira. Thank you so much. It was wonderful to be with you, and I look forward to being with you in the future. All right, folks. We will see you again. All right, so that is Ira Wolfnosen. Again, the website, heartunafraid.com. And coming up, as I said, mark your calendar, November 17th at 7 p.m. That's a Tuesday. Most of you should be home and ready for something like this. I hope you are. This will be your chance to get online, in particular Facebook. And if you go to the Strange Brow Radio public Facebook page, you can also find it at strangebrowradio.com. There will be the live interactive Zoom session. Now, Zoom will be hosting the whole thing, but um, we don't really have a way to invite anybody else other than speakers on there. So Facebook it is. It will be recorded and down the road it will be uploaded to uh, both the YouTube sites there. But if you have some questions and you want to get them possibly answered by someone who knows better than most, uh, get in touch with ERA on November 17th. Again, at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time is your chance to do that. Now, this was already cut and edited together as a YouTube video. So everything we just spoke about, including some pictures of Bohemian Grove and uh, the serpentine walls that she talked about near Mount Shasta, there's some images and video uh, that we had on there. So if you want to watch the video, I suggest you do that. That'll be uploaded here. Gosh, I think it's already uploaded. So if you go to Strange Brow Radio com there you'll find it so i hope you do that and while you're on youtube make sure that you're subscribed some of you um just watch the videos i appreciate that you do but if you hit that subscribe button and that like button on the videos it goes a long way with the not the moderator but the host uh, youtube in this case and <clears throat> the algorithms that they keep track of so if you're not subscribed i would ask you to do that Go check out the Strange Brow Radio Facebook page. And speaking of videos, there's a whole lot of videos going on at the Patreon.com page. If you go to Patreon.com forward slash Strange Brow Radio, I really appreciate anybody recently who has subscribed. Uh, there's been at least four new subscribers over the last month to the Patreon page. And after episode 100... Well, we're in different territory now with how the show will go down. And so, again, after episode 100, the patrons will get a regular weekly show like you've been getting for the last year and a half. Your shows, if you're listening to this on, let's say, iTunes or Spotify, your show will come out 
and seasons. So there will be four episodes per season, four seasons a year. So you get your 16 episodes a year, which is probably still plenty. But if you want more, go check out patreon.com forward slash strangebrowradio. And then if you're really hungry to help us, then go to the merchandise store. You can go to strangebrowradio.com, click on the merch store. And boy, anything that you get out of that store will go right back into the show. Also, don't forget our sponsor, Feral by Aaron, E-R-Y-N, Sound Alchemy Tools. You'll need one for the holidays, and so will your family, so will your loved one. Check out the beautiful museum-quality spirit tools from Aaron Jackson at E-R-Y and Feral by Aaron is how you spell that at Etsy. Hey, if you want to be a guest on the show, get a hold of me, strangebrowradio at gmail.com. We have a sketch artist. We have two awesome sketch artists now that are doing amazing stuff. Go to strangebrowradio.com and check out the latest sketch artist from our three-part series, uh, Don't F With Another Man's Ink, Reef and Bill, and Edward Mong's uh, Creepy Guy. Amazing stuff on there. So if you uh, want to talk about bringing these things to life, get a hold of me at strangebrowradio at gmail.com. All right, episode 99 in the books. We'll see you next week, or we will see you in the trees. following audio is an actual hypnotic regression of an experience of the impossible. The witness goes into great detail describing what it's like to be taken and worked on and what they look like and what the craft looks like. Here is the real deal. We freeze frame to this flash. What's happening? Ah, I can't move. What's happening now? Ah. Ah. I taste blood. You taste blood? Yeah. Why? My throat. Your throat. Why? I, I don't know. Okay. What happens now? You're doing fine. You're doing very well. Just let yourself relax. There you go. And remember that you're here. 
my eye hurts. What uh, happened? Uh, 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 my left eye hurts. Uh, it itches. Okay. Just allow it to fade away. You can do that. Just let it go. What happened? I don't know. Okay. All right. What happens next, Kirk? What happened uh, to your eye? Ah, uh, it hurts. the itch? What caused the pain? The light. Okay. The flash? Yeah. Alright. What caused the blood in your throat? The dark. What do you become aware of next? See. Why can't you see? It's like a film. Okay. It's like a sheet of water. I see something. What do you see? I see things. Describe things. Uh, skinny things. How many things? More than one? Or just one? Uh, more than... Uh, I can't count them. What's your sense? How many? Don't count, just get uh, enough. So this film was like water. You see things. What's happening now? Uh, I don't know where I am. Look around. See where you're at. Tell me what you see. Like a crane. What's it doing? It's like a bug. Okay. I don't know. What's what's like a bug? Crane. Right. 
What's its purpose? What's it doing? See. See. So you're in this space and you see metal. It's crumpled. It's dark. It's dark. You're not alone. No. You don't know how many others are there. No. Can you see any of the others? Turn my head. Okay. Can you hear anything? Buzzing. Like bugs. Okay. Buzzing like bugs. Loud, soft. I don't know. It's like through muffled. Okay. Alright. You smell anything? What's going on? What's happening now? Do you know the purpose of you being here? Yeah. What's the purpose, Kirk? Why are you here? To remember. What do you remember? happening now. I'm in my Jeep. It's You're dark. Okay. You're in your Jeep. It's dark. Do you know what time it is? Seven ten. 
Are you alone or are you with someone? No. What's happened? What are you where are you experiencing right now? It's a bridge. So you're in your Jeep. I can't go across the bridge. Why not? Why can't you go across the bridge? Something on the bridge. What is on the bridge? Thing. Freeze frame. Look at it. What is it? I don't, I don't want to look at it. Okay. All right. Then you can look away. You don't have to look at it. I have to go the other way. All right. Go the other way. I can't. Why not? It's too dark. It's dark. So what happens now? I'm driving. You're driving. Where's the bridge? I don't know. I'm on the road, the main road. Can you get a sense of time now? There are cars. Okay. Cars. On the main road. Yeah, I'm glad to see them. Yes. You're going to have wide open, eyes wide open, wide awake. Right back in. Five, four, three, two, one. Eyes open, wide awake. Take a deep breath. 